गुरी वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जाए हरि राम प्रभु की जाए So we are continuing our discussion of Brihad Bhagavatam at um, Sanatana Goswami's work. Actually, he has written a commentary to this text. We're discussing both, book and the commentary. And we've just now completed the section in his Mangala Charan, his auspicious invocation, which he has glorified and sought the mercy of the sacred terrain of Uttar Mandal within that Vrindavan, Jumuna, Govardhan, which will be spoken about at length in the second part of this book, Goloka Mahatmyam. And now we have three verses left in the uh, Mangalacharan, after which he will begin to describe exactly what this book consists of in terms of when it was written, who it was written by, and uh, what it's essentially uh, made up of. So I want to talk about that tonight, and I want to go through quickly these last three verses of the Mongol Charn this morning since some of you are going to be leaving on Saturday morning and so forth. Still a lot of material, but I'll try to give the essence of it. I wanted to go up to the point where the actual narrative begins. But um, we won't be able to get there going at the rate we've been going. So, today, Jayati Jayati Krishna Prema Bhakti Jad Angrim Nikila Nigama Tattva Guddha Agnaya Mukti Bhajati Sharana Kama Vaishnavais Chajamana Japa Yajana Tapasya Nishtam Vihaya So here he now he glorifies the means by which in a general sense all these wonderful things that high ideal of bhakti that the first part of this book is about and that place where it expresses itself fully and freely how that can be attained so what is the general means by which it can be attained that is bhakti so to bhakti devi prem bhakti devi he offers his respect jayati jayati krishna primo bhakti yad angrim nikila nigamathat paguda magnaya mukti It may be thought, and it is commonly, that there are different paths by which one can attain one's uh, fortune beyond the, uh, the poverty-stricken confines of material existence. Empty place that it is. Worthless. But that's not the fact. There are not many means by which one can attain a, a status, a wealth, a meaningful existence. That means to say there are not many means by which one can transcend material existence. There are only one means, and that is bhakti. All these offerings, obeisances to bhakti devi. 
people may think there are different ways, and and that status beyond the influence of material nature, we call that liberation, mukti. Salvation, dharmartha, kama, moksha. This is the general ideal that's uh, presented in the Vedas. There's more than that presented. There's like an open secret. And that is all this insight about bhakti, prem, nam, and so forth. What do I mean by saying that it's an open secret? Is that when it's an open secret, practically nobody knows it. If it's a closed secret, then people find out about it. But if it's an open secret, the idea is that it's like, like Prabhupada used to say, Krishna consciousness is common sense. But as I've said many times, common sense is very uncommon, unfortunately. So, it's actually proclaimed throughout the scripture, these things, but people have largely uh, missed it to the extent that at the time that this book was written, and this verse was composed, the dominant thinking was that, that bhakti was, was kind of like not much of anything. But gyan, karma and gyan, this was everything. That you, you may further your position in life through karma marg, hmm? this um, uh, karma kanda, or you may further your position in life ultimately and attain mukti rather than heaven or a better material situation by gyan. After all, even the, we have karma mimamsa and uh, it's called the purva mimamsa and uttar mimamsa. Dissertation on karma and dissertation on ostensibly gyan. Brahma jignasu, inquiry into Brahman. Dharma jignasu, inquiry, inquiry into, into religion. Inquiry into religion is an inquiry into how to proceed within the modes of nature and progress. How to color one's human life and activities therein with shades of God consciousness. And the other side, when we come to Brahma Jignasu, we're no longer interested in coloring our our life or tinting it with some God consciousness, our human life, but realizing the difference between ourselves and our humanity. So from a religious orientation to a experiential, spiritual orientation in life. But this later section, this Uttarmimamsa, this inquiry into Brahman, ostensibly it's very much a, appears to be about knowledge. So karma and jnana. There's bhakti. And bhakti kind of looks like karma. Therefore, it is said, Vaishnavera Kriyamudra Bhignana Bhujai. Difficult to understand the activities of a Vaishnav because they may parallel that of an ordinary person in many respects. Now we take it as rather common that uh, since Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur Prabhupada coined the phrase Brihat Murdanga, that printing books, that's really spiritual. And it is, of course, if you burnt, and we call, as he did, the, the big drum, printing the book, Granta Prakash, manifesting the literature and so forth, like the Goswamis were doing, that's an ongoing affair, important. So it is profound and spiritual, but then to go to the printing press and, and 
pay the money and oversee the... I mean, this wasn't going on in previous centuries when there was no printing press. Those who are in publishing know it's a big ordeal to print and you've got to have you know, money to print. And it's one of the most stressful professions in the world, they say, publishing. <laughs> so when someone like uh, Prabhupada, our Prabhupada, I grew was living in Vrindavan and raising whatever little money he could at the cost of his own uh, comfort, personal comfort, and even wardrobe, practically. Uh, he had tattered cloth, and he would raise whatever money he could to get on the train to go to Delhi and try to get the printer to print his magazine, Back to Godhead, on credit. So to deal in the world of credit and all these things, it looks to the um, average person to be quite mundane, and to the average sadhu also. To be quite mundane. As I say, we think of this very spiritual because here our in our our line this has been emphasized by Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasvati printing books and calling it the big drum and a dynamic form of kirtan and what could be more essential bhakti than, than kirtan. Hmm? That will come up here too, of course, in the next verse. You know, Nam Dharma is the essence of, of Bhakti Dharma. So an extended idea of that, a dynamic idea of the kirtan. But previous to that, the pushing on that with the with, the, with references like Yukta Bhairagyam and so forth from Sri Rupa Goswami, extending that reference. It's a, it's a huge extension of the reference. Yukta Bhairagyam means Anasakta Sabishayani Tarhum Bhuyanjita. What is it? All these slokes, anyway. Yukta Bhairagyam, he says, Uchate. It originally meant that those things like the vestments, the clothes of the deity, the deity's garland, the food that's been offered to the deity. These things should not be rejected, thinking them to be extraneous or, or, or mundane. They should be embraced. This was the idea when Rupa Goswami was preaching these things, because my buddies, they were prevalent at the time, Ganmarg and so forth, the Smartas. And they would say, when we, when we, when we throw away those beads, and a saguna, and the nam even, and just be silent. And the deity, and the speak of the deity's prashad and all these things, they all looked at this all as ex external. And he said, no, these things are part of Krishna bhakti. They should not be rejected. So you can see what an extension of that idea is to say, riding in the motor car, as Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur did for, for preaching. And it, it, previously, a sannyasi would not uh, take any motorized conveyance, not even a rickshaw, you know, a bicycle rickshaw, but walk on foot and not with shoes. He wore patent leather shoes, which was like the cool thing in uh, British, you know, world order at the time. Those were like, if you had patent leather shoes, you were, you were somebody. So he wore patent leather shoes, Bhakti Siddhanta Saurasthi Thakka, rode in a motor car, purchased printing presses and so forth. People thought he was crazy. He came to Vrindavan the first time with two disciples dressed in like suits, like with priest collars, priest's collars, you know? Like priests wear those suits sometimes now. Nowadays. Like that with a collar. And then they had um, T-lock on and some kind of Nehru hat or something like that. <laughs> Coming to Vrindavan like this. And the Vaishnavs there, they rejected him. When he began his parikram around the circumambulation of the Braj Mandal, they stoned him. 
Prajapasis and Goswamis and so-called Goswamis of his party. They threw stones at them. Think what kind of disturbance? Who are these people? What do they do? But he was applying in a dynamic way this um, this principle of yukta bhairagya, utilizing the, the world, not rejecting a thing that has its utilization in Krishna's service, something like that. And he had a big uh, idea of service in mind, and of course we're the, much the fruit of that. It's given so much life to Gaudiya Vaishnavism. People are in Gaudiya Vaishnav sects throughout the world are living on on the uh, the fruits of this type of. Uh, service idea of Bhakti Vinod that was given shape by Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasri Thakur and then taken around the world by my Guru Maharaj and, and, and continues to be by by others. It's giving currency in the modern world to Gaudiya Vaishnavism, all, all sects and so forth, living off this, the remnants of this. You be proud of members, humbled by the fact that you are members of the Bhakti Vinod Paribhadas, Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasthi like to call it. So, again, uh, the point here is what the Bhakti often looks like Karma Marg, printing books, selling books, opening a book stand. So, this is just like, of course, Goswamis were also writing books and so forth, but then the, the printing and marketing and all these things. And many other activities that they do, hmm, the Vaishnavas. They appear like to run on the parallel uh, track with Karma Marg. So it was misunderstood, Bhakti. And this is incredible because it's really the heart beat, love, Bhakti, of the whole of the Shastra. And material life, conversely, runs on two tracks desire for karma and desire for gyan, desire for, for the world and acquisition which involves a life of exploitation, criminality, taking, and gyan, desire for mukti, to get away from the world. So one group is trying to take the world for itself, the other group is, is, is rejecting the world. And what does bhakti do? Takes the whole world for Krishna. It doesn't reject anything, takes the whole thing, there's some vairagya in bhakti and there's some action in bhakti. So there's knowledge in bhakti, there's action. But it's, they're harmonized in bhakti. The kirtan can consume the whole world hmm, in the conception of bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. If we step back from the world and, and look at it objectively with a healthy kind of detachment, we can see it for what it is and then we can enter into it and not be affected by it. This is bhakti. Bhakti is very much to be in the world, really. That's what Krishna has done. He's come to the world, <laughs> human society, to be a simple human being. It's a very high teaching, very esoteric, difficult to catch. So to be in the world, but to not, not be of the world, not to reject the world, not to exploit the world, not to reject it, not to run after it, not to run away from it. So again, this bhakti is a kind of a, a kind of a common sense, and it's the very heartbeat of the scripture. But it's it's often misunderstood. In the time of Sanatana Goswami, was no exception. And so he wrote this kind of a verse, which says really that bhakti is everything. That in other words, if you think there are other means to attain 
your uh, wealth in life, to progress in life, you're mistaken. There is no other means. Even in the karma mark, to be successful, you have to have some devotion. And the gyan mark, to be successful, there has to be some bhakti. Therefore, he says here, in praising Prem Bhakti, he says that Mukti resides at her feet. He says, Nikila Nigama Tattva Gudham Agnaya Mukti. Yad Angrim Jayati Jayati Krishna Prema Bhakti Yad Angrim. Angrim means at the feet, so. He's saying Mukti, which is thought of as the ultimate goal by most people. Again, Dharmartha Kama Moksha, this is the general idea of what's available, what's uh, worth pursuing, the goals of life. Mm, what is it called? Um, Purushartha, four goals of life. Dharmartha Kama Moksha, to be religious, the virtuous life. Artha, Dharmartha, Artha means to get uh, security, power. It means desire for power, wealth. This is what art is about. Dharma is about virtue. Art is about power, wealth, security, all of those that goes on within us and expresses itself outward in pursuit of security, bank balance, the power derived from this. This is all about artha. Dharma artha. Kama, to have pleasure. Sense pleasure, this is calm, Dhamarta Kama. And then Moksha. So to be to be virtuous, to be secure, to be pleasured. This is all in the realm of karma. The problem with all of this is people don't realize that you are a unit of pleasure. You are secure. <laughs> There's no death for you. And the self is virtuous in the in the fullest extent. People are trying to be all these things. This is karma mark. And then mukti means moksha, liberation, step back from all such pursuits. And then if one is successful in that, then one can realize the extent to which one is by inherently unto himself, as jiv shakti, tatasta shakti, a particle of that, virtuous, secure, happy, but because the jeev has potential for loving when it comes in touch with bhakti, then it can realize the full extent of these things. Samvit, sandini, ladini. You follow? Hmm? You know, these things, the higher realm, it all corresponds with dharma, artha, kama, satchirananda, in between. This soul has this potential in connection with bhakti. And Sambit, Sandini means a place in the in the Leela of Krishna. So this moksha, this is like this is like in the middle of it all. This is this is kind of a, and, and it's possible any kind of moksha is only possible by bhakti. Therefore, he says that mukti is at the feet of bhakti. He's glorifying prema bhakti. And he says, at whose feet mukti takes shelter. At the feet means at the lower part of the body, just a, just a slight contact. Mukti has taken shelter as close as she can get to bhakti, just grabbing onto her feet. Which means, the implication is that 
whatever approach you take to mukti, gyan, yoga, something like this, tapa, nyas, renunciation, austerity, japa, sacrifice, means you know, all these things, unless there's some touch of bhakti, they will not be successful. She's at the feet, right at the feet. There's she's taking shelter. Why is she taking shelter there? Because she sees Vaishnavas are not interested in me. Mukti see the Vaishnavas they have no interest in me. And Vaishnavas they are the nicest people. They are Subhada. All auspicious. Attractive people. So she sees these people the Vaishnavas they have no interest in me. So she takes shelter of bhakti. This is the connection then. So within Vaishnavism, within bhakti, there is mukti. Mukti gets her chance there to associate with the devotees. Who? What to speak of not caring for Dharma or Kama? They don't care for moksha. Mama Janmani Janmani Shvare, Mahaprabhu said. Nakutas Janabibhuti Art Svaragapavaka Narayateshu. Bhagavad says. Whether they're in heaven or hell, liberated or unliberated, it makes no difference for them. Mahadev spoke this verse. Such is the position of Narayana, Parayana, devotees who have given their life to the Lord in Bhakti. We'll speak of Krishna Parayana. No interest in Mukti. No interest in, in, in any kind of Vaikuntha Mukti. Salo Kishasti Sami Pesarupyai Kantaputa Diamanam Zivinati Vinamat Sevanam Jana. But they're kind of mukti in this sense. They'll accept her in relation to bhakti. So there she is. At the feet of bhakti. She can get the Sangha of the Vaishnavas, the blessing of the Vaishnavas. So she's there, therefore, because she resides there, and of course this is a nice verse, but it's based on so many statements of the scripture that will come out throughout the writings of the Goswamis. Which again, if you read, you see, this is an obvious point, but a point that escaped the uh, attention of most people. Because, again, material life runs on these two tracks, mind and I. It means karma and gyan, either running after the world or running away from the world. Boga and tyag, another way to talk about it. We want to enjoy it, and then, when it turns out to be less than what we had hoped, we, we want to reject it. With nothing better to do, we go back to it again. Like when I was a kid, and kids would chew bubble gum in school, and then they'd get a little, little, little stale, they'd stick it underneath the desk, and then later on, nothing better to do, because the teacher was so boring, they'd try it again. Something else. Puna punas charavita charvanano, in the language of Prahlad. Chewing the chewed. This is so Bhogatyag. You try to enjoy it, then you reject it. This is how material life works. So these vancha, desires for bog, for enjoying the world, desire for karma, desire for uh, gyan, for mukti, these are like haunting the soul. Therefore, Rupa Goswami has called them pishachi, witches. And bhakti is a goddess, supreme goddess. Pishachi means unclean, tantric. Well, will a beautiful goddess, she won't be in their company. So as long as the heart is haunted by these desires, which like 
desires for karma and gyan. Bhakti cannot settle there. Won't come there. Therefore, gyan karmani and avritam. Rupa Goswami has defined his bhakti like this. He's devoid of these, chasing these out. And especially the desire for mukti. These are very radical statements in terms of how people have understandably misunderstood scripture. Because if you're in material life and your whole life runs on these two tracks, chasing after the world or avoiding the world, then when you start to come under the shelter of scripture and so forth, those sections that seem to speak about those two tracks are what you're going to gravitate towards. So bhakti, which is in the center of the home, which is totally spiritual, that's missed. You see, it becomes obscured by our very nature, the nature of our conditioning. So in the whole path of karma is made and big arguments in, in favor of that. This is all in all, whole path in favor of gyan and so forth. Bhakti is just sitting quietly, <laughs> being missed by the people. So bhakta has to come and bring that out. This is what the Goswamis did, bringing it out, the common sense of the scripture, placing it before us for our consideration, which, which make, harmonizes these tendencies, gyan and karma, so that they can bring real, uh, the desired fruit, actually. So if you take bhakti and you mix it with karma, then it means you're mixing it because you want something material. You take karma and bhakti and you mix it with gyan, means you want something. You want uh, liberation. So, yeah, you can have like that. But the idea is, why not take the whole thing? If you have to have a little bhakti to be successful in anything, what would be the success of just embracing bhakti itself, herself, fully? So this is what, much what, what this book is about. And we call all these bhakti shastras of the Goswamis. They've taken nana shastra vichara nekanipanosa dharma samstapako lokanomitakarano They've taken very carefully, painstakingly from all the revealed scriptures and brought out this heart of the scripture, bhakti. It's a radical thing. It's radical like this. So radical that it's not really radical, but I mean, given the, the way people are thinking about scripture and have been for ages due to their material conditioning, it seems radical. Common sense seems kind of always radical. You know, the story is there of that Alexander the Great, Bhujapad Sridharmarsh used to give the example. It was said that whoever could, uh, could uh, break the Gordian knot, it was a, some big knot, I don't know the whole story, but then that person would conquer India. So, so many big kings came and they tried to, tried to break that knot, tried to untie it and so forth. No one could untie it. And the young Alexander came, and what did he do? He pulled out his sword and cut it. And everybody said, oh, I could have done that. I mean, anybody could have done that. But nobody thought of it. It is said, was said in Columbus's time, I was told, that whoever can stand an egg on its end will be able to cross the ocean. That's how hard it was thought it would be to cross the ocean, even for that matter, if there was anything on the other side. They thought the world was flat and you would just go off. So it said, in other words, it's impossible. If you can stand an egg on its end, yeah, then you can cross the sea. Good luck. What did Columbus do? He took the egg, you know, the eggs are round on each end, so you try standing up. He took the egg and then he went like this. 
you know, made a little dent in it and stood it up like that. <laughs> and everybody said, well, I mean, that's what anybody could have done that. And no. And he's the one that sailed across, they say. It's common sense. Uncommon. How many people saw apples fall from trees? Huh? Millions of people. But what did Newton see when he thought? He had a whole, oh, he had a different idea. And so to pay attention. This is his common sense. Pay attention. But people are not paying attention because karma, again, that's what it is. It's a distraction from what you are. It's, it's the desire to, 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 to have, to own, and to know. To know everything, to own everything. It's not your position. You can't own anything. Nothing belongs to you. Krishna says, Pokhtaram Jagatapasam Sarvaloka Maheshwaram Everything belongs to me. I'm the owner of everything. I'm the enjoyer of everything. I am everything. Nothing for you. You will think, oh goodness, no room for me. But then he says, Suridam Sarvabhutanam Natvamam Shantim Vajiti. Take it easy, he said, be peaceful. Accept what I say. It's true. It's not as I have a big ego, it's just true. That's just a fact. That's my position. Accepted in what? Suhidam Sarvabhutanam. Then you can know me as your friend. What does then mean? If you are the friend of the person who knows everything and owns everything, then what? <laughs> it's much easier than trying to own everything and know everything. And this is bhakti. Become the friend of Krishna. So we are trying to know and own, and this is not our natural position, so it's awkward. Disconcerting. We're off balance. We're distracted by this, these tendencies, from what we're really about. A unit of dedicating capacity. I mean, we miss it. We have to dedicate ourselves in karma mark. We have to dedicate yourself to have knowledge, to get mukti. I mean, people are just like dedicated to mukti, to the extreme what austerities they will take and, and to succeed in the in the world such dedication so this is it this is underneath the whole thing this dedication must be that this is your dedicating unit of dedicating tendency bhakti is talking about what we are at heart naturally what we are this jnana and karma is all on the surface and so common sense but uncommon and it's, it appears so radical that what people have got this so backwards that they're thinking dharma, artha, kama okay, that may be worthless but moksha, that has value and what does bhakti say? moksha has less value than dharma, artha and kama it's like really turning the whole religious world upside down in other words, there's more emphasis in the tradition, the bhakti tradition against the desire for mukti than there is against the desire for material acquisition. Better you remain here as an, an acquirer because, as I said earlier, there's some similarity between bhakti and karma, kind of. It looks kind of similar, although they're, they're very different. But in the realm of karma, then the devotees are moving there more readily than they are in, in, uh, in the Brahma Jyoti creating opportunity for Sukriti and so forth, that people may take up bhakti. And it's it's user-friendly, this bhakti. So it seems to parallel karma. You have to eat in the karmic world. You have to sleep. You have to shop. 
all these things can be done for the deity, for example. It becomes bhakti. Take prasad. This is bhakti. Gyanamarg, no eating. No dressing. Shiva is dressed in ashes, representing the Gyanamarg in, in that sense. So, hatefully, hatefully rejecting this idea, they're more friendly towards karma marg. In karma marg, then, well, there's some chance to take up bhakti. If you take, if you attain, you do just a little bhakti to get mukti, then what? It's like no man's land. It's, it's sometimes called like spiritual suicide. Death of one's individuality. This is hatefully rejected. So, these, are, these appear to be very radical statements, but our Goswamis have very painstakingly and patiently drawn from all the revealed scriptures. If you study the books, you see it's a very clear and obvious conclusion of the scriptures. And as I say, as I'm explaining, it goes right to the heart of our own experience if we look carefully at it. That is bhakti. It's not an artificial imposition like karma and gyan. These are artificial impositions. It's going to the heart of what we're really about, adjusting that only, giving us the proper center to repose our tendency for for dedication and loving, giving. And that center is Krishna. Why is he the proper center? Because if you give to him, everyone's nourished. Like if you give to the stomach, the whole body is nourished. So who can be the complete taker? He who, who by taking, everyone is nourished. Who will disagree with that? So in this way he says, glories to bhakti, prem bhakti, at whose feet mukti is taking shelter. That means she wants the association of these Vaishnavas. She's taking shelter at the feet there. That's where she is. So she has no existence, mukti, independent of bhakti. She does not exist independent of bhakti. She resides at the feet of bhakti. That's where she is. So anything that you do, independent of bhakti, in pursuit of mukti, what Sanatana Prabhu wants to tell us is, she's not there. You're looking in the wrong place. He says, Bhajati sharanam kama vaishnavais chajamana. He says, knowing that the feet of bhakti secretly, like I said, it's open secret, comprise all the truths of the Vedas. Mukti, who studied the Vedas very carefully and deliberated upon them. Does that make sense? Yes. <laughs> People want Mukti, even the Ganmarks, so they, they study the scriptures very carefully and deliberate upon them. But Mukti herself, what is her capacity to study and deliberate on the Shastras? Extraordinary. She did so. What was her conclusion? Take shelter of bhakti. So, Mukti herself has reached the conclusion that I should worship bhakti. So she places herself at Bhakti Devi's feet, and then liberation, which had been, as I've mentioned, abandoned by the Vaishnavas, has now given up her dependence on having taken shelter of bhakti, mantras, penance sacrifice and renunciation eager to have the shelter of Prem Bhakti these things mantra means here brahmachari and sacrifice this uh, 
grihastha and penance this banprastha and renunciation this this sannyas relates to varnashram dharma these are the practices so if you are looking for mukti in these things the the news here is you're looking in the wrong place she's not there she won't be had if you take those things and then you add a little bit of bhakti then they can be fruitful and successful but how successful will they be and what intelligent person understanding this will take to those things when they are difficult they need some bhakti factored in in order for them to be fruitful and the result is not that great and conversely bhakti is very easy very natural happy path beautiful path and the result far exceeds mukti mukti is only at her feet It means it's not a big deal therefore the devotees aren't concerned about it mahaprabhu said it mama janmani janmanishwari babatat bhakti rahaitu kitkai i'm not interested in mukti that mama janmani janmanishwari i have no concern about it life after life i'm attached to bhakti only so get this out of your heart you know I, when am i going to go there how am i be here do bhakti <laughs> this is it it doesn't get any better than this you know, this is you have to like, wake up is it well this this is what it's all about now i have to develop my bhakti from sadhana bhakti to bhav bhakti to prem bhakti but they're not a different species so i do one thing to to give it up to to, to take up another thing so it means to an ends sadhya kabonai shavanadi sutachite kore udai nityasida krishna prem sadhya kabonai it's not something you do to get something over here like that like in the realm of karma no nityasida krishna prem this is eternally existing this krishna prem sadhya kabonai no it's not something to gain by and it's not a, a right people look at it like this they're right no it's a gracious grant shravanadi suta chitte kore udai it awakens by by hearing and chanting so sadan bhakti begets baba bhakti begets prem bhakti it's like you know an unripened fruit and a ripened fruit that's all so do bhakti for bhakti sake bhakti sanjaya bhakti only bhakti can give bhakti so it is to this prem bhakti here he offers his uh, his pranam this is our ideal and then within bhakti the execution of bhakti the uh, different ways in which one can express uh, with bhakti ex- expresses herself so now he offers his pranam to the principal way he says with great respect with great joy he said oh i'm living in vrindavan jayati jayati now he says jayati jayati with great high high regard jayati jayati namanand roopam murare with the greatest respect all the regard that i can muster i offer my pranam to the holy name of krishna murari murare the name of of of, of the lord namanandu roopam it is the very form of 
of joy, of ananda itself, this name. And it means this name distributes ananda everywhere. Nam and Krishna, same. Krishna Nam and Krishna are the same. But there's one difference at the same time. And what is the difference? Nam is more merciful than the form of the Lord. This name has been emphasized. Chanting. Everything is found in the name. <coughs> guna, Rupa Guna, Nam Guna, Rupa Lila. Inside the name is the Guna. Inside the name, Rupa is the, inside, is the Rupa. Inside the name is the Guna. Inside the name is the Lila. This is the supreme most practice of bhakti, especially in Kali Yuga, where Nam Kirtan reigns as the Dharma of the, of the age. Everything can come from Nam. And everything will only come from Nam. Yes, meditation is there, but that will come from Nam. Therefore, Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasthitaku wrote very powerily, Kirtana Prabhavi Smarana Swabhavi. By the power of Kirtan, Smarana will come about naturally and automatically. Smarana Swabhavi. By the power of Kirtan, meditation on our Swarup will come naturally. Now people have a different idea. They have a separate practice of Dhyan. This was not the emphasis of Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasthitaku. After all, we know that the Leela of Krishna is non-different from Krishna. We know that the form of Krishna is non-different from Krishna. We know that the qualities of Krishna are non-different from Krishna. And we know that the name of Krishna is non-different from Krishna. Right? But we know also that only the name, while being non-different from Krishna, is also different from him, in the way that which I've explained, more merciful. We don't find that the Leela, while being one with the Lord, is also different in that it's more merciful than the Lord, or his form, or his qualities. This has been said only about the name. So taking the name, this is the supreme process. You follow me? So say, so well, why don't I just meditate on the Leela? Why should I do Nam Kirtan? This is why. Because the Nam affords this. Nam is more merciful. So it comes to us when we're not qualified to do dhyan. After all, meditation requires some qualification. And kirtan requires no qualification. If you cannot control your mind and you do kirtan, you still benefit. But if you cannot control your mind and you meditate, <laughs> there's no meaning to that. There's no benefit. Mithyatara Krishna says. It's a false. It's just false. If you sit to meditate, you can't control your mind and you're going to be thinking about your senses and the call of the, the senses. And so, it means you're not doing meditation. It's, it's a false. Mitya. Mitya I say that's hypocritical. That's a false thing. Mind has to be arrested. And what stops the mind from being arrested? Well, there's desires in our heart. Got to do this. Got to go there. Got to get this. I, I need this for myself to protect myself, to make myself happy. To do all these desires. They, that's why why we get up. Got to do something. We can't sit quietly. So, dhyan. This is basic Bhagavad Gita. Requires a pure heart. Dhyan yoga and Bhagavad Gita is spoken after karma yoga, karma sannyas, dhyan. 
all these things. It means some clean heart. Therefore, Mahaprabhu said also, Chetto Dapanamajanam. First thing name will do is cleanse the heart. Baba Mahadabhagani. Nirvapanam. You put out the fire of material existence. Now we're in some position to really meditate. Some help coming from the other side in a prominent way. Some taste and the mind will be captivated. So, anyone should think of Krishna as much as possible. Try it. But don't neglect Nams and Kirtan. This will really enable you to think of Krishna. Krishna Nam will reveal in his qualities, his, his, his form. It's in this order. In form, then in qualities, then Leela. So he says... All oh, glories to this Nam. Him. If any living being, he says, puts aside such tasks as meditation, ritual worship, and social duties, it means Varnashram, and even once takes the holy name of the Lord, the name will grant him liberation. That holy name is the greatest source of eternal pleasure and, Sanatana says, is very, my very life and ornament. So he's really praying and that he'll get the grace of Nam, so he'll be relieved of the, these burdensome activities like Varnashram. Very burdensome. Meditation. It's actually burdensome compared to Kirtan. You have to sit straight and ignore your sore back and so many things. It's, it's all mentioned in sutras, how to do meditation. In Gita also, you've got to have this not too high, not too low, and, and as you say, face this direction and that, and celibate and all these things. It's troublesome. What did Mahabhu say? Nam nam akari bahudani kala. No rules. That's what he said. No time, no place, no circumstance, no consideration of that. Mahaprabhu was, had a problem. Sri Chaitanya Dev, he was chanting Krishna, Nam. And his tongue was just flapping, chanting, chanting. He couldn't stop it. And when he went to bathe and answer the call of nature and so forth, he thought, this is a problem. Because you cannot do your worship of the Lord while answering the call of nature. First you have to do that and bathe, then come and worship the deity. But Mahaprabhu, this was his worship. He was worshipping the name. He understood how Krishna and his name are the same. He's chanting. But when he went to the to the bank of the Ganges to bathe and so forth, and his, his tongue would keep chanting. So he's thinking, I may, must, I may be making an offense here. What to do? And then one uh, friend of his his name was Gopal. Gopal Guru was his name. He told Mahaprabhu, no, no, don't think like that. This name is different. There are no rules. His name was Gopal. Mahaprabhu then called him Gopal Guru. Gopal Guru. He became Gopal Guru Goswami, famous devotee of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in Puri. He eventually came to reside. So Mahaprabhu said, oh, you've, you've put my mind at ease. Through Gopal Guru, he revealed this, this teaching. Then he wrote it himself, of course, in Shikshastakam. There are no hard and fast rules. I mean, really, there are no rules for chanting the holy name. Bhagavatam says it. If you chant this in your sleep, while eating, 
while sleeping, still there will be benefit. You don't have faith in it, do you? That's, that's what's being said here. In his commentary, Sanatana Prabhu will labor hard to dispel any doubts about this. Somebody say, well, again, name is most merciful process, but what if you don't, what if you can't talk? Then what? Yes, for people that can talk. I mean, most people can, but what about the people that can't? He says, no, that's all right. They can just write the name. But if they can't see? That's all right. He said, they can just touch it where it's written. They can hear it. They can just touch it. Practically speaking, with all the senses, they can they can take part in Nam. Labor's hard to explain uh, that how user friendly and merciful is Krishna Nam. It's to corner us. We can't get away from that. There's the slightest connection with that. So much benefit. It may not accrue immediately, but it's there. You're making you're collecting a bank balance. So these kind of statements are made appropriately to help us to apply ourselves in relation to this uh, most uh, generous dispensation. And it will free us, he said, as he said, he's praying like it. It will free you from the troublesome activities of meditation and varnashram. The idea is that what? One does varnashram, they think, in order to be able to meditate, ultimately. And then they do Varnashram to make progress materially, but the end of Varnashram is moksha. So, then to meditate and, and, and attain moksha. This is the, the general idea. He says all this stuff is, is just uh, troublesome. Varnashram, very troublesome. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of rules what to do. People, they, they, what he's talking about Varnashram, they have no idea what is Varnashram. That's Prigu, he knows. It's some book, Dharma Shastra, all the rules and regulations. Brahmacharis have to wear bark from this kind of tree, and that kind of brahmachari has to wear a different kind of bark, and this and that, and, and thousands of rules, thousands of them. Here's the idea. There are as many rules to Varnashram, Karma Marg, as we have a tendency to succumb to the call, the force, the demands of our mind and senses. Because that's what they're about. They're about regulating the senses. So that ultimately the mind will become still, peaceful. So that one can do meditation. So that one can get relief from material existence. That's the general idea. So how strong is the call of your mind and senses upon you? Considerable. So there are thousands of rules just like to regulate that. That's the idea. It's very troublesome. And we think it's very foreign because we have a sense that spiritual life must be spontaneous and natural. And it is, of course. But that doesn't mean just acting like an animal, that that's what spiritual life is, and just doing whatever your mind says, whatever your senses say. So, oh, it's very scientific, all this Varnashram. But the point is what? If Sarvadharman Prittajama Mekam Shalanam If you get faith in Bhakti, what is faith in Bhakti? What does it correspond with? Sharanagati. That's faith in Bhakti. Sharanagati is the outer expression of faith, of Shraddha. 
So Krishna tells Arjuna, be my devotee, and here's how to do it. If you believe what I say, if you have faith, if I've aroused that in you, then you, you show it. Do the Sharanagati. And what is it? How does it begin? Forget this Varnashram. Throw it out. Sarvadharman Puritya And then includes liberation. Therefore, Dharma Projita Kaita Bhutraparamuni Nvatsaranam Satam. Where Gita ends, Bhagavatam picks up on the same note. Let's go on from here. Forget this Dharma. This is the cheating business. And including liberation, the desire for liberation. Forget that. We've we talked about this in relation to the previous verse. Troublesome affairs. Have faith in what Krishna is saying. Take shelter of him. Do Sharanagati. Sharanagati is the stage on which the drama of bhakti is performed. Surrender and chant. Surrender and hear. Give up. Any other processes is the idea. And in a big way then, this bhakti is coming to us in the form of Harinam. We have to glorify the holy name in so many ways. We're trying to go through a little, a little quickly here. Then he ends his Mangalacharan with this nice verse. Nama Shi Guru Krishnaya Nirupadi Kripakrite Yasri Chaitanya Rupo Bhut Tandvan Prema Rasam Kolo I bow down to the feet of my Guru, Krishna, the bestower of unconditional mercy. In the age of Kali, he's appeared as Sri Krishna Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to distribute the tastes of pure love. This is a heavy verse in one sense because he says, Nama, Shri Guru Krishnaya. I offer my obeisances to my Guru, Krishna. And people go, what is this? Sounds like Ritvik. <laughs> so some people changed it to read Namasi Krishna Chandraya. So there are different readings, different manuscripts. But the Tika, the commentary of Sanatan, conforms with the uh, BBT has given this altered one. Namasi Krishna Chandraya. So they must have had this manuscript like that. But older manuscript says Nama Sri Guru Krishnaya. And the Tika, if you study it, it the commentary of Sanatan conforms, fits much better with that. So, of course, he's not saying that Krishna is my guru and I don't have anybody else. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was my guru and, and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was his guru, of course, his Siksha guru. It's not the Siksha that is the prominent part of Kaviraj's text, Chaitanya Charitamrita, all the teachings to Sanatana. We discussed this at some length when we discussed Sanatana Goswami before our, our talks on the book itself began. Shiksha Guru, and also it means what? It means that Guru is Krishna. So he appears in a multitude of forms to teach all of us in a way that's just kind of custom-tailored to fit our necessities. So don't ignore that. Don't look elsewhere. He comes to you in that form. Look elsewhere is a, is a great uh, oversight on our part. Anyway, Krishna is coming to us locally. Therefore, we should pay attention there more than to Krishna himself. People want to, want to serve Krishna, but not so sure about serving the Guru. Sometimes it comes like that. Like I've said before, if you want to look at the stars, you have to use a telescope, and you have to look through the little lens that comes quite close to your eye. If you think, I want to look through the big lens, I'm being cheated here. Then you look at that, you just get a headache. You won't see anything. It's a whole system, you see. 
Guru comes close to us, he's a, he's a little smaller. He's human-like. If you get close to him, you see he's human-like, eats like me, takes rest sometimes too, he bathes and this kind of thing. He's up, up close. The Guru is like a fire. Therefore, it's also said, don't get too close. Don't, you can't get too far away. Without fire, you have no heat, no food to cook. No, you can't cook, anything. But if you get too close, then you might get burned. So you have to study with the, with the eye of Shastra and understand. As faith develops, then you can then you can see everything for what it is. So coming close to us like this, and we may think, oh, you know, it's a little small. Let me go to the big lens. I'll go directly to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Now they want to go right to Prabhupada. Is their idea? Of course, they have no interest in anything after Prabhupada, <laughs> or anything before Prabhupada, for that matter. That's, this is <laughs> got him in a vacuum, you know. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't have any predecessor. He had no successor. And where they got the faith in Prabhupada? They got the faith in Prabhupada from Prabhupada's students, but they want to ignore that. Of course, some students are confused, and they they teach that themselves. Hmm? But they're usually the ones that weren't really involved in giving faith, and <laughs> creating faith, and doing preaching in Prabhupada's Prabhupada's movement. Therefore, they don't understand the scriptures. So much confusion. So, anyway, Sanatapu offers his obeisances to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He says, My guru. It also means this. The Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is the Samasti guru. The composite guru of the Sampradaya. And then from him, so many like satellites are coming in, Guru Parampara, and so many lineages. We call that the Vyasti guru. Like macrocosmic idea of guru and microcosmic idea of guru. Samasti Guru and Vyasti Guru. So they are ships like representing him, the mothership, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And so they draw their power from, from him, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He's the original Guru of the Sampradaya, founder of the whole Sampradaya. So the Guru Parampara starts there, Nityananda Prabhu, sometimes also seen as the figure of the Guru, but here he's saying, find pranam to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He is the Samasti Guru. And if I'm in line with him, sincerely, qualified, then he will make up for it. He, he, he will come through to the student. Who can be as qualified as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu? His sannyas was frightening to old men like Paramananda Puri, Brahmananda Bharti. He was just a boy, 24 years old. And his sannyas frightened Brahmananda Bharti. He used to wear a deer skin. He was a heavy guy. Parmananda Puri and uh, Keshav Bharati, Keshav Puri. These were heavy, heavy sannyasis. They're the, they're the roots of the Chaitanya, figurative Chaitanya tree. It's rooted in this kind of like sobriety, although it's dancing on the top and, you know, dropping these fruits and beautiful flowers. It's rooted deeply in proper understanding. Heavy. Guru means heavy. So these were all like the gurus of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Mahadavendra Puri, Ishwar Puri, then Ishwar Puri's God is like Paramananda Puri. When Mahaprabhu saw Paramananda Puri in Puri, he said, Oh, Mahadavendra Puri has appeared before me today. These were all these big sannyasis. They, they are the roots of his tree. Mahaprabhu offering regard to them. It's grounded in that. But his sannyas, his renunciation, frightened them. Frightened them. 
So who could be more qualified than Chaitanya Mahaprabhu? It's impossible. So we have Vyasti Guru and the Samasti Guru. And the Vyasti Guru drives the qualification from, and power from Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Now, but sincerity, it's all about sincerity, this bhakti. It's just a heart religion. It's all about sincerity, truthfulness, non-envy. Applying oneself like this definitely gives power. And that power can be extended. So, this way we conclude the Mangala Charan of Brihat Bhagavatamrita. Shri Sanatana Vasami Prabhupada Jaya. Any question? Yes, sir. You were talking about um, karma mixed with bhakti. Yeah. And that made me think about um, the Bhagavad Gita, where karma yoga and jnana yoga also help with. Mm-hmm. There's this, at one point, I don't know which chapter it is, Krishna asks his progression from, uh, if, if you can't think of me, then Twelfth chapter. Work, work for me. And yeah. So How does that fit in with the picture? Or is that like an early, early stage? Or If you can't meditate on me, so then do my work. If you can't do Raga Bhakti, then do Vaidhi Bhakti with a view to attain qualification for Raga Bhakti, not with a view to go to Vaikuntha. And if you can't do that, then do then Nishkam Karma Yoga. But if you study Gita, Nishkam Karma Yoga given in Bhagavad Gita is, is, is directed towards Krishna, so it has a tinge of bhakti in it. Then do that. In other words, yeah, you know, you do your work, what you want to do, Offer it to Krishna. It's it's some slight trace of bhakti that will help you gradually then that person to come to bhakti. Well, so like that he's speaking. I think in his commentary, Prabhupada said, if you can't do that, just do something. Give to somebody, somewhere, somehow. Start giving somewhere, even imperfectly. This will call your progress. That's what bhakti is about: giving. What else? Another question? Yes. I was also thinking when you were talking about Yuktavira again, the same thing that Shamgopal was asking about that the relationship between these things that we do that have a tinge of bhakti and then like actual bhakti that at this stage we have like more taste for these like printing books that have something to do with bhakti than while chanting for example is more like an uphill struggle but I guess that this should be the other way around so yeah, the, the uh, pure practices of bhakti are like medicine to you, and the other things like food. Hmm? So you take your food with a little medicine in it, <laughs> and the medicine will have its effect, and then the medicine will become your food. That is ruchi bhakti. Medicine becomes food then. Oh, just see, and you can live on that. Yeah. Don't worry thing is to be under the guidance of a Vaishnava can help you with all these things to move naturally and you have to go according to your adhikar otherwise it becomes a mess they'll jump in and think they're only going to do just pure bhakti and they can't do that and make a mess out of that it happens so often anyway, and your ideal is pure bhakti that is your ideal you're not doing bhakti are you doing bhakti so that you can improve your material situation? 
No. Now we're not doing whatever bhakti we, we can do for liberation. So we're interested in shuddha bhakti. Gradually the heart will become cleansed. Interest will become prominent in that alone. So you're on the path of pure devotion, but you're not pure. But you place yourself under the guidance of a Vaishnava, then what do you have to worry about? Right? The only thing you have to worry about is if he says, now do this. <laughs> but he's pretty, he's such qualified devotees should be very well able to assess how to push you in such a way that you can feel the pinch, but you know it's good for you. You feel the pinch, but uh, you know it's good for you. There's affection behind that. What else? Sometimes a bit confused because, like, sometimes. Well, uh, with this. Issue, <laughs> That's a surprise. <laughs> only with this issue. That, like, um, all the scriptures are praising the, like, the Nam Sankirtan so much, and it's said that it's absolutely the easiest way and most efficacious. But then how is it possible that during other yugas, some other practices are more like effective? It's not that the other practices of the other yugas are different from bhakti. Uh, smaranam, dhyan, that's bhakti. Archanam, that's bhakti. Yogya, sacrifice, that is the heart of bhakti. And then Sankirtan, four yugas. So it's a, addressing the temperament of the people. That's all. In Satya Yuga, it said the people's minds are real complicated, so that the simplicity of chanting, they just can't relate to it. No matter how much you tell them, they just can't. They think it's got to be more technical than that. So their minds are just like that. So, so they get a more technical type of practice. That's the idea. And there are so many scriptures about so many things because there are so many dispositions and so forth in the world. And I mean, it's all about bhakti, but again, people's interests are otherwise. So they gravitate towards this part of the scripture and they take it out of context. They don't understand it in context in, in relation to the center and so forth. And that's what happens. People are distracted. So, in Satya Yuga, they're meditating, meditating upon Vishnu. Treta Yuga, they're doing big yagyas for Krishna, like in Brahmalok, there's big yagyas all the time. With a Gabradakshai Vishnu, thousand headed Vishnu, big yagyas they're performing. Isn't it? Prigar knows about that. And then in Dwarpa Yuga, the temple worship, the deities of worship, they used to put like this, like, you know, the Hope Diamond, I think, was in the crown of Ram. Ever since the British stole it, whoever has it, they have some problem. So that they, I mean, they took all types of, you know, all the most valuable resources and wore them on the deity. This is the Kritaita Jayato Vishnu Yadritakam Duarpa, what is it? Deity worship in Kali Yuga Sankirtan. But it can hardly be understood in, in, in Kali Yuga even. Alright, so we'll stop there. See,